<clears throat> very encouraged by what's going on with the care team. That was, uh, I'm amongst, I guess, many that didn't know all that was happening, so that was pretty cool. And I have to also say, I didn't have a real intro, and as I was sitting there, I looked up the word rad, and um, because Chad used the word rad, and I thought, I've never, I haven't used that in a while, and I thought, that seems so outdated, and... I got to be honest, uh, it's not outdated. Let me read you the uh, Urban Dictionary of the word rad. <laughs> and Chad is very much on point with this word because it says this, that uh, it's used by people on the West Coast, very good, Chad, very to be called, uh, who find words like cool, awesome, and tight to be tired and overused. And so I thought it was pretty tight that the care team was doing those things, but Chad is far more culturally savvy, and um, so he's actually right in that it's pretty rad what, what's happening. So, um, Let's get started into a little bit more serious uh, matters. We are in a series uh, entitled Waiting for Christmas, and in this series, we're celebrating the Advent, the coming of Christ, and I was uh, able to be with you last week, and I get to be with you next week, and then the following week, and and I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to uh, hone in on this story that you will hear more about on uh, Zechariah. And most times in the Christmas story, we want to kind of cover the entire, the, the entirety of the characters and different folks. And, and where I felt led um, really by the Lord uh, was to stay here with Zechariah and Elizabeth, at least for this week and next week. And so I know that's a little bit different. But I, and part of the reason is because I just think there's so much here. And I think there's so much for us to learn about this uh, theme of waiting. So last week, just quick, quick summary. I talked about this idea of waiting. And for many of us, the idea of having to wait for anything is extremely painful, right? It just, it drives us crazy to have to wait. Like it, for many of us, waiting is a four-letter word. And it just, you know, it, uh, it reveals a whole lot more about our own life and our character. And some of you might be thinking, well, I'm far more patient than you are, and you might be uh, true on that. Let me give you just three more letters, okay, that might help you see otherwise. DMV, like DMV, like some of you thought you were patient uh, when I said wait, and then I said DMV, and then y'all were like, oh, you got me. So uh, if there's uh, anything else in this world that causes us more angst than anything else, it has to be uh, the DMV. Well, we're introduced to this character named um, Zechariah and his wife, and a, a few things that we know about them. One, we know that they were old, and then two, we know that they were without a child. And this angel of the Lord, Gabriel, appears to Zechariah while he's in the temple, while he's performing his priestly duties, and he, he says two things. Number one, he says, don't freak out, which is a really good thing for um, angels to say, right? Uh, in other words, he says, don't be afraid, and the second thing he says is, your prayers have been answered. We went on to talk about this idea of the prayers of Zechariah being answered was probably a crazy thing because he had probably stopped praying those things a long time ago. He had stopped desiring and longing for a child many, many years past. He had stopped praying. He had stopped waiting. Uh, he had probably been resolved to the plight that was uh, before him at a very old age. And we went on to say that waiting often is God getting you out of the center of you, and waiting is uh, something that God uses to lead us to worship. Well, um, this morning, um, I want to ask a, another question. Last week, we asked the question, why the wait? Uh, this week, I want to ask the question, why the silence? 
Like, why in the world, God, do you bring about silence upon our lives? Like, why is it that it appears like you just are not speaking, especially times where we just need a, a voice, like we need direction. We need you to speak, Lord, and yet what do we get? Silence. Oftentimes, um, we don't hear uh, and we wonder, what in the world is God up to? And so for many of you and for me, this can be just a, a real sense in which God is absent, that maybe he just seems to be disciplining you and you don't know why. Maybe it's unanswered prayer. Maybe it's just simply a dry season, a dry spell um, of the soul. And perhaps maybe you've put yourself out there. Maybe you took a risk. Maybe you stepped out in faith towards God and for some reason, it, things didn't turn out as you thought they would. Well, last week I shared with you to make it personal, right? Like to think about this text in light of where God has you or where God might have had you. And I want to do that again this morning. And I just want to simply say, would you think about where God has been silent or has appeared to be incredibly silent and incredibly distant in your life? I'm going to take just 30 seconds um, just to pray in silence, and then I'll um, we'll keep moving. So make it personal. Think and um, go to your God, um, or go to God in prayer, even if you don't even know that He exists, and say, God, would you make yourself clear to me in this area of silence? Jesus, come and speak, not because we're worthy, but because you're great and we need to hear from you. Amen. Let me read the text to you. And we want to, I want to jump in and read verses 18, 19, and 20 from Luke chapter 1. And we know, just a quick reminder, that as the angel came to um, Ze- uh, Zechariah, the angel told him, don't be afraid and your prayers have been answered. You will uh, have a son, and his name will be John. And he goes on to tell a lot more details about him, that he will be the forerunner of the Savior of the world, Jesus. And um, so that's what we learn about him. But so this is Zechariah's response. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Well, uh, the Jewish literary uh, scholar Robert Alter is an incredibly helpful guide at times when you're kind of reading uh, Jewish literature. And he says a few things that really um, unlock, in a sense, some of the hidden... uh, Uh, dynamics of the scriptures. And let me tell you what he shares that I think is very helpful for this text itself. He says that oftentimes the Jewish writers during the time when they would, when they would write, they would, they would share the story. They would share the narrative. And then out of the blue, you'd be introduced to dialogue, right? Like, so you'd be hearing a story about someone and then 
you'd be listening in on their dialogue. And so this is kind of what's happening in this text. And he says uh, simply that we learn so much from the story, but we learn so much more from the dialogue itself. We learn about the characters. We learn about why the author chose those specific words to be spoken about that character. And there's kind of two rules that he gives um, to looking into dialogue. The first thing he says is notice that when the writer decides to stop sharing the story and start interjecting the dialogue, right? So notice those. And then second, notice the first words out of a character's mouth. They reveal so much about the character of that person. You understand what I'm saying? So if you want to look back over and just think about what were the first words of Joseph? What are the first words of of Moses? What are the first words of David? You will learn, you'll have some insights into their character and where the story begins with them. So um, in this text, so far, um, Zechariah hasn't said a word. It's been all Gabriel. And, um, and so the rule of first mention here starts in verse 18, and this is what we hear from Zechariah. How can I be sure of this? Zechariah said, I'm an old man, and my wife is very along in years. Um, by the way, I don't think that's a really healthy thing to say, right? But, um, uh, but what is he saying there, right? And what do we learn about the character of Zechariah? Well, we know that Zechariah was a man of God. We know that he was a priest serving in the temple, and yet we also know that he was a man of God who had doubts, right? Like he really had doubts and he had questions that the first words out of his mouth are words of doubt, that the first words are really words of doubt, that we see that, that um, he's a man who really uh, did have faith, but he had doubts as well. And his doubts don't necessarily seem to be focused on God, do they? It's not like he's saying, God, are you sure you have the power to do this? No, that's not what he's saying there. He's not saying, are you sure, Gabriel, you heard it right? He's not questioning Gabriel here. Who's he questioning? Well, he's questioning himself in the midst of this. His doubts are built on him, on his weaknesses, his deficiencies. He's saying, look, I'm an old man, and my old lady, well, she old too, right? Um, Like, she's old, and we're old. Like, are you sure, like, us? And and as I read this, it really reminded me of um, Psalm 73, One of my favorite psalms uh, is the psalm of Asaph, and this is um, basically how Psalm 73 goes. He says, surely God is good to Israel, right? Like to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet have almost slipped, right? So the, the psalmist is saying this. He's saying, God, you're good, right? I got that. But for me, are you good? Like for, for me, like God, I know you're loving, but is that love like like fit for like my life? Like I know you're powerful, but would that power come into my life and into my existence and into my story? Well, that's what um, Ze- uh, Zechariah is saying here. God, I know you're good, but are you good to me? Well, let's listen to Gabriel's response. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to, uh, to speak to you and to tell you good news. That we learn here that Gabriel just really just simply says, look, I have been standing before God Almighty, enough said, right? Like, I come to speak his words for you. And then he goes on to say, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. It seems a, a bit harsh, doesn't it? If we're really being honest and if we're really just... Uh, just learning this text, that the punishment really doesn't seem to fit the crime here. Like, 
he's, um, uh, Zacharias seems to have kind of understandable doubts, if you would, and yet it seems to be treated with uh, a great amount of harshness, that this seems to be a pretty harsh rebuke. And after all, like, hasn't God been silent in this season, right? Like, this is 400 years of silence, that God has not spoken a word, and now he's about to speak in the most profound way in the birth of his son, this, like, intertestament time between the Old and the New Testament, there's just been radio silence from God, and now you're going to silence the one who's the father of the forerunner of Jesus? That just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. It seems um, a, a bit unfair. It seems a bit harsh. Well... I think that that's uh, exactly true for our understanding. But let me share this, that in our human understanding, in our experience, silence can seem um, like rebuke, right? Like we think silence completely and only in the negative. And I think in God's economy that, God, that there's not just rebuke, but there is reward in silence, right? Like in God's wisdom, in God's economy, he doesn't just simply see silence as harshness, but he sees that there's purpose behind the pain, that there really is um, God's purposes and plans, um, that silence can be both a a rebuke and a reward. And we know this because this is how God works, right? Like Israel's strength was not just simply an activity, but it was in silence. In Isaiah 30, it says, "In, in rest and repentance is your salvation, right? That there is a sense in which when God works at times, It's in and through the silence. There's an increase of wonder in silence. What looks like punishment really is a pathway to a prize, namely himself. Okay? So um, I just want to say this clearly, that God's silencing of Zechariah here is emblematic to God's silence in our lives. That at times, that God's silencing of, of Zechariah is emblematic to God's silencing in our lives. Remember that God is coming out of a 400 years of silence, and now he's silencing Zechariah. God is clearly doing something through silence. So let's keep reading. I want to make a few observations and then um, share a story or two. So, uh, so meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak. They realized he had um, seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. We just stop there and say, the people were waiting. So you get this sense in which that the writer only gives us a glimpse into the story because the dialogue is really short, right? It's only a few sentences, but they were waiting a long time. If this was kind of in a, in a movie scene, you could almost imagine that there's just a, a scene of the temple And like there's a time-lapse camera that's going by and you're beginning to see people continue to move around, but the sun kind of beginning to set. And then finally, Zechariah shows back up and he said, and he can't speak, right? And so what Gabriel said was true, that Zechariah would be made silent and that became, that happened now. After this, verse 24, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. Um, I'm sorry, let me read verse 23. When his time came of, um, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Well, just quickly, next week, I want to talk a little bit about that verse. I want to look at the first words of Elizabeth and and really uh, ponder this whole topic of shame, right? The disgrace that came with God's waiting and God's silence. Um, but for this week, I just want to 
just note that in the deep recesses of Zechariah's soul, right, in the inner man, God was deepening something in his heart, right? God was doing a work in his soul. And it really begins to ask the question, how does silence go from rebuke to reward, right? Like, how in the world does this happen? <laughs> like, how do we begin to see silence not just as rebuke, but as reward? Well, let me give you two points this morning. I know I gave you one last, but I'm going to give you two. But before I do, let me just give you a quick disclaimer that might be really helpful and then maybe share from my own life. Um, the disclaimer that I would give you is that silence for God's children, my friends, is only for a season, right? Like that when God is silent in your life, it is only for a season. Now, that might feel like forever to you, but I promise you that is only for a season. Like we know this from verse 20, and now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. So there was a season of silence because you, don't, you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So if you're a child of God in this room and you're in a season in which you sense that God is just not speaking, let me say that it is for a season um, and that this too will pass. So here's my two points. And I'll, um, the first point is that uh, a season of silence strengthens other spiritual senses, right? Like when God is silent in your life, what he's doing there is that he's strengthening your other spiritual senses. There are other things and other ways in which God is communicating and God is speaking loudly, but it not, might not be the ways in which you really want him to speak. It might not be the, the, the means in which you are hoping that he would answer, right? It might not be the words which you were hoping he would say, but the reality is that in the seasons of silence, God is strengthening other spiritual senses. So for instance, he is strengthening our eyesight, right, to see our sin more clearly. Like he begins to strengthen our ability to see the ways in which we have failed God and the ways in which we have unbelief, the ways in which it's really difficult to actually hold God at his word. He begins to open our eyes to see some of that. Um, years ago... Uh, back when I was in South Carolina, I had a season of maybe a, a, a darker season of the soul, if you would. And what I mean by that is it's just a, a, a time frame in my life where um, God was incredibly silent. And um, I won't go into the details, not because I'm uh, ashamed, but because I have a, a, a time frame that I have to work off of. And also because I think at times when you begin to share certain struggles and certain seasons, I think that we have a tendency to compare and contrast those things. So if you're struggling with something that's far less significant than what happened in my life, uh, you might uh, have a tendency to, to minimize your own struggle, right? And if what you're going through in your uh, assessment is far greater, then you might have a tendency to minimize the words and the words of grace that God might have for you. So um, I will just keep uh, the details out to simply say that it was um, a relationship, uh, relational disaster, <laughs> and the, the after effects lasted for quite a long time, far longer than I really hoped. The, the, the rippling effect of, those, of what happened really, really happen, uh, continued um, throughout a, a lot further than I would have hoped and a lot longer. And in that time of silence from the Lord, uh, I was still going through the motions, right? Like still went to church, still had my quiet time, still did the things that I did. 
And yet, if you were to ask me in a very frank moment, if you were to corner me and say, how is your relationship with God really like? I would have said something like Zechariah. Like, I know God's still there, and I know he's good, but I'm not sure he's good for me, right? Like, I'm not sure that his goodness has uh, me in mind. Well, um, some of what he did in that season was help me to show that silence is for a season, and also, some of it was for me to see uh, that my sin of unbelief before an almighty, holy, righteous God was a real sin, right? He began to reveal to me my self-righteousness. He began to reveal to me uh, ways in which I, didn't, I wasn't all that I thought I was. And, um, and yet, in that kind mercy to me, he also began to show me his holiness, his otherness, his transcendence. Right? Another spiritual sense in which God gives to us is that we begin to not just see our sin more clearly, but we begin to taste his word more dearly. Right? Like we begin to taste his word far more dearly. And so verses that came out of that season for me were not just memorized up here, but they're memorized here. And so when I quote them to you, they're not just simply scripture memory, <laughs> but they really are uh, words that like fed my soul for seasons. So 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this, though outwardly we're wasting our way, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. So God gave me a greater taste, and he gives us a greater taste for, for his word. This also comes straight out of Deuteronomy 8, one of the most precious verses to my soul. Deuteronomy 8, 3 says this, he humbled you, and I could just quote this to myself, <laughs> and I would encourage you to do this, to take his word as your word. So he humbled you, Jijo, and caused you to hunger, and fed you which manna, which neither you nor your forefathers knew, so that you would know that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that God begins to increase our taste buds for his word, and his word becomes the way in which he's speaking to us. God is an amazing God. It's, it's the seasons of silence strengthens our other spiritual senses. We also begin to hear his voice like we've never heard his voice. A dear friend of mine named Rupert, who was uh, 31 at the time, was a uh, college athlete, actually played quarterback for a college team in uh, Georgia Southern University, and uh, had been married, and with his first child at the age of 31, uh, found out he had cancer. And I remember talking to him after this, because he was a good friend, and I remember just being on the phone with him, and he said something that was so indelible to my soul, even now. He said, Gijo, I had no idea that the, how loud the other voices in my head and in my heart were. He just said, the voices of your approval and my church's approval and my boss's approval and my family's approval and the voices of my expectations and all those other voices were so loud that God's voice couldn't be heard. And he says, Gijo, I'm able to hear God's word, voice like I've never been able to hear God's voice through a season of silence, that he begins to uncover other spiritual senses in our hearts, that the other voices <laughs> uh, begin turned down in those seasons of silence so that his voice would be heard. Well, the second point and last point that I just 
lay before you is that silence <clears throat> does an amazing thing. It begins to um, str- uh, stations us, right? It, uh, it postures us. Uh, it stations us to receive his reward, right? Like it positions us uh, to receive his reward. Now, let me just pause here because I know for some of you this can feel very ethereal and this can be a little bit more difficult to kind of like tangibly kind of sink your teeth into, if you would. And some of you are doers. I'm a doer. And, and, and one of the most difficult things about doers in seasons of silence is that we find ourselves a little bit antsy. So let me give you a couple things that you might want to do, right, in a season of silence. Number one, be still. Be still. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. Like, there is an active... <laughs> Uh, participation in being still. In this season of Advent, let me encourage you, take time to, to allow silence and stillness into your life, right? Like, and I mean that, like, go to your calendar, set it up, write it down, maybe even set yourself an appointment with a location and says, hey, this is my time to simply be still and, uh, and know that he is God. Number two, stop listening to yourself and start speaking to yourself. Okay, now I, I get this straight out of... Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who says this about Psalm 43. And let me, um, I think I have the, the quote up, so let me hope that I do. Um, <clears throat> so start, uh, stop listening to yourself and start speaking to yourself. So this is a beautiful um, quote from Spiritual Depression. It says this, have you ever realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Ever, ever felt that way? <laughs> like, wow, I haven't thought about that. Well, take those thoughts that come to you in a moment. You wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are there talking to you. Uh, they bring back the problem of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who's talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment, Psalm 42, was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. He says this, why are you downcast? Like, why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. He asked. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and he says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. (laughs) I just think that's beautiful, right? And what he's saying there is we can preach the gospel to ourselves, right? That the word of God is given to us um, uh, to speak those things back to ourselves. So stop listening to yourself and start speaking to yourself. And then the third just real practical thing I just want to give to you is um, surround yourself, right? Be still. Uh, speak to yourself, stop listening to yourself, and then surround yourself with uh, godly people, people that will point you back to the gospel. Uh, surround yourself with people that love you and that love God and that will uh, bring you back to Christ. So so God's season of silence is stationing us, my friends, um, to receive the reward, right? Um, let me just say this, <clears throat> that... This idea of stationing ourselves is just kind of positioning ourselves. Um, Zechariah was in this, in this place, and I, I find it very fascinating. Those five months of just silence before, uh, well, it's actually nine months, right? But the first five months when they were just in seclusion, I can imagine that Zechariah was just kind of going through like a, a tennis match of unbelief to belief. Like he'd wake up and want to say something and realize, oh, there's my sin again. I can't believe I blew it. And then he'd see his wife growing a baby, and just move towards awe and worship, right? Like, that he was going from the sense in which, in one sense, he was um, 
so frustrated at himself, so feeling downcast. And then the other sense, he's like, I cannot believe God is this good. And he was worshiping the Lord. There was probably this back and forth. And it could have been the sense in which he thought, am I ever going to speak again? Wait a second. I doubted him before. I will not doubt him again. I will speak again. And it must, it must have been this way. And I think for many of us, it's God stationing us for this. And we know this because uh, Zechariah's prayer at the end, when he finally gets to speak again, right? Do you know what it's all about? It's not just about the reward, namely a son, John the Baptist, but it's about the rewarder and the reward. The first eight verses are all about the rewarder, namely God himself. Like he's just overflowing with praise and worship to God Almighty. And then he starts praying for his son. And as he's praying for his son, that too is all about God Almighty. And so my friends, what God says to us is that he's positioning you not just for a reward, the answer to prayers, the gift of whatever he might give you, but the rewarder and the reward. You with me? Let me share this with you uh, anecdotally from my own life, and then I'll close with one verse. Um, years ago, I got engaged to my wife, Amy, and, um, and it came as a bit of a shock to uh, mostly her, not to me. I knew it was coming. And um, part of the reason that it was a shock was uh, just not the smartest move in the world. There's a lot of dumb things I've done. This is on the top end of it. But we got engaged on April 1st, uh, April Fool's Day. Which, um, just not a good thing when your girlfriend at the time thinks you're going to break up with her that weekend and then you get engaged. It's something kind of crazy there, kind of happened. And God had been positioning us, he'd been stationing us, uh, in a sense, for uh, a gift and a reward. And, um, and I, after the ring, got on a knee, she didn't remember mo- most of it, we got on the phone and call- started calling folks. And started with our parents and then friends and family. Y'all know the drill. And um, I let her call her family first and her friends first. And so it was person after person after person. And she kept saying something that I just couldn't understand. Like, like I was hard for me to comprehend and fully grasp. And, uh, and I get it. Uh, that moment of engagement for a young lady is... It's very exciting, right? Like there's a ring, there's a wedding, there's a dress coming, there's a day that's coming, there's all those blessings that come with it. But you know what my wife kept saying over and over and over? She got on the phone, the first, first, first words out of her mouth were, I get to marry Jijo. I get to marry Jijo. And I sat there and one, I didn't feel like I deserved any of that because knowing the sinner that I am, I know me better than anyone knows me and I thought, this is so undeserving. But I thought to myself, God, this is not like me at all. Because <laughs> when I come to you for rewards, I don't, I'm not looking for the rewarder. I'm just looking for the reward. And I began to realize, I get Jesus. I get Jesus. I get Jesus in marriage and in answer to prayer and in children being born. And so, friends, the rewarder is the reward plus whatever he would give to you. So how do I know this is true? How do I know any of this is true? (laughs) Right? I know it's true because Jesus is true. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led 
like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he too did not open his mouth. Friends, Zechariah's season of silence was due to his unbelief. Jesus' silence was due to my unbelief and yours, right? That Zechariah's season of silence brought about a life, the life of his son, John the Baptist. Jesus' silence brought about his death, the death of the firstborn. Zechariah's season of silence was building in him a praise and worship that just overflowed um, not indifference, not distance. And Jesus' silence created a distance between him and his Father so that you and I would praise and worship God Almighty. Friends, that God is turning our waiting to worship, that God is the one who's bringing us from rebuke to reward. He's the one who's, who's moving us from silence to salvation through his Son, through the reward. Let me pray to that end. God, I, um, I feel so like Zechariah in that even as I preach, I cannot believe fully that you're doing things that I cannot see and feel and touch. And, and yet, um, even as was said of old, I do believe, help our unbelief. I pray that would be a prayer for these, your people, and for me. God, you are the one who's turning our waiting to worship. You're the one who's bringing us from silence to salvation. And so would you do that in our midst, even as we sing to you, even as we ponder you, even as we're silent before you, even as uh, we are sitting in sometimes sin, sometimes struggle, and then oftentimes just simply silence. God, would you come as you did 2,000 years ago in a new and fresh way. Give us fresh words, fresh manna that we would feed off of today in you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.